Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, coming to you live, sort of, um, on, what is it, Tuesday, November 14th? Yes! Good job. Tuesday, November 14th. Who knows his calendar? Who's got two thumbs and knows the calendar? This guy. Um, so the Lakers are back home, Andy, after the four-game road trip, which they finished with a win uh, in the one place you would expect them to get a win on this trip. So uh, one and three, but not terribly surprising. That would be uh, against the Phoenix, the Phoenix Suns, Suns yes. um, yesterday. And for a while, it actually looked like they were going to finish their road trip 0-4. 0-4, but they, it they looked like it was going to be like a lot of these games where they had to dig themselves out of an early hole that they put themselves it in. It was funny. Like, watching that game, you're reminded how much, like, being good at basketball matters. Like, these are two teams, and we talk about them as, like, they're young, they're fast, they get up and down the floor, they do all the, they're athletic, and all the, but, like, they're they're not very good at basketball yet. And it was just a really ugly, unfortunate-looking game. Yeah, it's also a reminder, too, for when it comes to the Lakers and, and trying to predict any type of success they're going to have, when they take care of the ball, they can, at the very least, hang with anybody in the league. When they do a bad job taking care of the ball, they are vulnerable to any team sure. in the league. And they, last night, I think they it was uh, Monday night. It was like sixteen to seventeen turnovers, but there were ten. There was like ten in the first half, and it, they particularly they, in the first quarter when right, they when they, they, were, they got themselves in that hole. They they and as have, the game went along, they stopped turning the ball over, and not coincidentally. Yeah. Pulled away. I mean, they, that's they, when they did it. There are certain teams like the Warriors. They are good enough that if they have a lot of sloppy turnovers, they can overcome it through their play on both sides of the ball. The Lakers are not one of those teams. They really need to take care of the ball, by and large, yeah. if they're going to win games. And they did a lousy job of it on the road trip, which is part of the reason they lost those first three games. So uh, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of that. Um, Talk about uh, what, what's what been trending around the NBA a little bit early in the season and, of course, some big Lakers trends uh, at the start. And let's let's start with, Andy, the biggest Lakers trend, I think, over the first 14 games for L.A., the thing that has dominated conversation uh, on our show, on, on our air at ESPN L.A., and pretty much everywhere, the fact that Lonzo Ball cannot shoot. Yes. Um, it hasn't gone well for Lonzo uh, on the floor, 31% from the floor, 25% from three. Um, he's six of 22 from three to 10 feet. He's only uh, 46%, at, 42% at the rim, which is bad. Um, he's, if you go like 10 feet to the three point line, also six of 22. There's really nowhere on the floor. Uh, I mean, you want to really talk about how there's no like safe space <laughs> for, for Lonzo. Um, he's shooting 50% from the stripe. Yeah. I mean, there really, there is no safe place for Lonzo to put up shots on a basketball <laughs> Are court. Are you calling him a snowflake? I, I, I am. Well, no, he's easily triggered by the prospect of having <laughs> to put up a shot. Um, so it's just, it's not going well. And so that, that has been a topic of conversation and what to do. We talked, we, we talked coming into the, you know, into a season, you know, one of the things people worried about was he's got a weird-looking stroke. I mean, everybody knew that, but it went into the basket at UCLA. He was very effective at the rim. He was very, you know, pretty effective in forty percent, forty plus percent, I think, from 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 three-point range. And he didn't take shots from anywhere else on the court. Nowhere. Basically, it was the rim or behind the arc, like five feet behind the arc, right. which is very modern NBA. Right. So in that sense, and but, that was it. Right. Um, and so it hasn't worked, and so the, the topic of conversation has been what happens to Lonzo's shot. Magic Johnson 
um, former Laker point guard, went on with <laughs> <laughs> went uh, went on Mike and Mike, which is I guess still a thing. I was going to say almost <laughs> almost former partners. I didn't. I it took for I. Not to get too deep into our own politics here at ESPN. Didn't that show end like six months ago? I, I thought it was over. It's been announced. I don't that listen. It's, right. It's going to be announced that it's going to be ending, and Mike Greenberg's going to be getting, I guess, sort of like a Good Morning L.A. Right, type, type show, thing. and I, uh, Michelle Beadle and Jalen Rose are going to be involved with it. But they're, meanwhile, they're still and, doing the radio and show. Gol- Golick is going to be paired up with Trey Wingo, and I think the younger Golick which means, obviously, Stu Gotts is going to try to put himself in the mix there as well. But it seems like the, the Mike and Mike uh, like end date that we've been like, been told is coming for months. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying I'm pulling this sound. Yeah. It's Magic Johnson on no, Mike I, and Mike, and I, I was struck I'm by confi- two things, both what Magic said, and then also I didn't realize that Mike and Mike No, I've been, I've been a little bit confused by this as well. Anyway, former Lakers point guard Magic Johnson joined Mike and Mike and said this about Lonzo Ball's shot. It's a fine line because – you have to do is first he's been shooting that way his whole life so what we wanted to do was just let him play his game let him shoot the way he's been shooting and uh hopefully you know they'll go in and so we're not going to mess with it we're going to let him shoot and play his game and if uh we can if after the season he's not shooting well then we'll sit down with him and say hey you know, let's maybe look at a different way or let's try to improve the way you are shooting. What is it that caused you not to shoot well? Is it your balance? Is it the fact that you didn't release it well? So we can break it down with him, but we don't want to mess with his shot. He's, you know, he's proven that he's knocked that shot down, and we want him to encourage him to keep shooting. And like I said, against Milwaukee the other night, uh, he had two or three of those go in, three-pointers. So maybe it's coming back for him now. And also we have to remember something. And yeah, he starts getting into the, the idea of those guys have played more basketball. Like they play like three times a week now or before. I I will I am more than willing to go rookie wall, which is sort of what he's saying. Um, I'd like to think they didn't hit him in <laughs> November. I'm not. I'm I'm just not going to play that well, part of Magic's well, analysis about here, whether or not they should mess with Lonzo. Here, shot. though, I mean, I will say this as far as the the rookie wall and Lonzo, which again we'd really like to think it's he a did little not, early for he that. Did not a little hit early for that mid November. Lonzo did miss a lot of training camp with an injury, so to some degree he may be playing himself into getting used to playing heavy minutes at the NBA level with which NBA is it's, frequency. Which, right, it's a very different thing. You know, there's, I, I, I don't think that's the problem. But the, the, the I don't big think it is either, but I'm just saying question, it's not ridiculous to bring it up. That's the big all. question that, that Magic is responding to, that, that we're all asking, is what do the Lakers do about Lonzo's shot? And Magic said, and I actually think he's right in this instance, we're not going to mess with it now. I completely agree. You can't, and I because it's not working for him. And if you break down his 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 shot charts and in his his uh, you know game logs, I mean, he's had one game where he shot over fifty percent from the floor. That's the triple double game. That's the triple double game against Milwaukee, which is a really good game. Yes, it was. Um, he's only been forty percent from the floor two other times. He shot 44% in the, the Phoenix game, which was, to that point, the near triple-double that was the best game you know he had played statistically. And then he shot 6 of 13 against the Pistons when the Lakers won that game. It's, uh, other than that, you know, he's he's been under he's been under 30% more often than he's been in, you know, in the 40% range. 
but you still can't screw with him now. It's just it's you, now you, because if you mess with him now, now he's thinking of two things. You can you can make, and I would expect them to make small adjustments. Like if they see something that is glaring and also relatively easy to adjust, I'm sure they're going to bring it up to Lonzo. They're going to work on it with him in practice and and right. things like that. I mean, you know, all these guys make little tweaks over the course of the season. What Magic really is saying, and and both of us agree that he's correct. You don't do a true overhaul reconstruction during the season. You like, work, you tweak right right now, and I and step one should be tweak the mechanics that he has now because it's you know the, everybody focuses on what's happening from the waist up with the weird thing where he takes it from his belt and kind of swirls it around and then shoots the ball, but a lot of the problems can be from the waist down. Are you launching straight? Are you launching sideways? You know, are you, where are your feet and all this kind if of you stuff? You watch Lonzo, and obviously we've seen every minute that he's played this season. The shot is mechanically and physically wildly inconsistent. I mean, like he looks different when he puts up shots physically, mm-hmm. and I think it affects everything from the setup to the launch to the release point. And there are times when Lonzo misses shots where you wonder what was he aiming at. Well, then that's that's how. You, this is how you know a guy's shot is is kind of busted. Good shooters when they miss, and you know Steph has had stretches where he misses. You know he goes five for fifteen from sure. three or whatever it is. Guys miss, but generally speaking, Steph misses on you know four inches to the left, four inches to the right. Lonzo's missing by a foot sometimes to the left, a foot. Again, you to the right. wonder what and, was he aiming right? At? And it's just it's and so it, the, they have to figure out what the right way to handle it is and i think this is it like just let him play and basically bake into the cake the idea that lonzo is not going to shoot well this year so what do we do offensively how does that impact how we play and whatever you can can work on his free throws you can work on his free throw mechanics i think more easily than his overall shooting mechanics in a game like you know just take a look at what he's doing at the stripe. How about this? Get him to the line. Yeah. I mean, that's part of that Lonzo result. on Wednesday. Alonzo on Monday in Phoenix didn't get to the line. Um, that was his one, two, three, sixth game of the season where he did not shoot a free throw. And he's got uh, nine or ten games, I believe it is, where he shot three or fewer. So, you know, he's not shooting the ball particularly well from from uh, the, the line. He's also not getting there. And to me, that... That is indicative of the larger problem with Lonzo offensively. I didn't expect him to be a good three-point shooter. They certainly expect him to be better than 25%, which is where he is now. I figured he would be in the low 30s, and he might still get there. He's shooting 40-whatever it is, 42% from at the rim, which is very bad. Yes. And that, to me, is the bigger issue because he needs to be able to be effective at the rim. I think a lot of it is just his. We we spent a lot of time talking about Ingram, and uh, you know his body and how underdeveloped he sort of was physically to be in the league. Lonzo, for all of his passing ability, and he's not a you know he doesn't shy away from contact or or this or that. He's a slight dude, and at the rim, powering up through 
bodies to finish at the rim. I think he's running into the same kinds of problems that Ingram ran into, particularly last year, and is working through some degree this year. I, I think that might be part of the issue. But I don't think I don't, he's got the legs and the strength yet. He doesn't have the legs and the strength, but I also think some of the reason he's not a good finisher at the rim is I think he's really indecisive in that area. There are, there are times where he looks like he's trying to set somebody up from the rim and then ends up shooting sort of at the last minute. Like, I don't think he's entirely comfortable. You're, like, he shows up in the lane with like, the purpose like, of passing rather than right, the purpose like, of like, shooting. Like, Ingram struggled at the rim last year purely because of the physicality issues. It was not because he was indecisive. I mean, to Brandon Ingram's credit last year, he would attack. Particularly as it went on. Yeah. Right, over and over and over, knowing he was probably going to lose that battle, but he did it anyway. Lonzo, I think, is more indecisive in that area and that, in part, I think hurts him when it comes to the percentages. Um, so we'll see what the Lakers do with that. I they, I think they are correct, though, in the sense of don't mess with it now. Uh, deal with it in the offseason. The other yes. half of this, though, this Magic Johnson interview with Mike and Mike, came when he was talking about the expectations that are on Lonzo. And this gets to... You know, kind of what you know. This is part of what we're getting into. Is you know, the idea that Lonzo is supposed to be awesome right away, and you know that he was going to shoot well right away, and all that is based on the well, expectations. A player, Brian. He is, and this is what Magic said about that. What I try to do is just really say, hey, just play your game, because born and raised in Los Angeles, always wanted to play for the Lakers, and then, like you said, Lavar, you know, making comments. I think that going in. Um, we thought that LeBron James was the the biggest rookie ever, you know, in terms of most publicized. And then uh, now here comes Lonzo Ball in terms of publicity-wise. And because of social media and all that, he was the guy with a target on his back because of, uh, of his father and being drafted number two pick. And so I think he's handled it well. And I agree with that, that last part. All of what Magic said is true. I don't think there's anything in there that's not true. He's forgetting something, though. Part of the reason that Lonzo is seems disappointing in a lot of ways to, to people is because the Lakers anointed him as the, the, the franchise savior and the new face and the guy who's going to bring everybody in. Uh, you know, bring the the milkshake that will bring all the boys to the yard. <laughs> you know, per- metaphorically. Uh, <laughs> I can't all be. Sometimes you you Andy, you miss one hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. You miss one hundred percent of the dad jokes you never make. Right. <laughs> That's Kesha, right? Uh, I believe that is Kesha. Yeah. I think so. Anyway, so you know, this is this is what they set him up to be, and so it's not just Lavar, and it's not just um, you know social media, all of which is true. It's also the Lakers. The Lakers bear some responsibility for the the idea that Lonzo is underperforming because I actually think overall he's been fine. I didn't expect there's him a to lot shoot. he's doing well. There's a lot he's doing well. He's just not transcended yet. And Ben Simmons is a better rookie, and you know other guys. Hell, Kyle Kuzma might be a better rookie this year. Well, let's talk about might that. be might be over the course of the season. If nothing else, I think a lot of people would say Kuzma has outplayed Lonzo. 
absolutely, I think a lot of people would agree with you. And even if none of this stuff existed, guy drafted number two is always going to show up with more expectations than guy drafted 27. But it really does illustrate the the kind of the how perception matters when you're drafted and you're found money at 27 versus what you're expected to be at two, particularly when all of this other stuff has been piled on you. They've done nothing to slow play the the expectations around Lonzo. No. And I think it's been a big mistake. I have thought that that has been a huge mistake since the minute they started doing it. I mean, it's something we've talked about all offseason and then since this year began. I, I've had a lot of concerns that the front office has been setting up Lonzo for a narrative of disappointment. And, you know, I mean, it's one thing when LeVar does that, you know, and runs the hype machine. You know, for better or for worse, this is what you expect from LeVar. And, you know, this is how LeVar is running his brand and Lonzo is part of the brand. And, you know, again, for better or for worse, this is what he's going to do. But you also in some ways expect or, you know, really hope that Rob Palinka and Magic Johnson are more savvy than LeVar Ball. They're certainly, even with their relative inexperience, they're more, ex- they're more experienced in their world than LeVar is in his, and you would expect them to understand the value that can come from, even with building enthusiasm, some degree of under-promise, over-deliver, and especially when you know what's already on Lonzo anyway, the instinct to double, you know, double down would put it generously for Magic and Palinka. I don't think has done Lonzo a service in the short run. Who knows? It may turn out all okay, and then I I think ultimately it it will, but But it's it's not helping currently. In the immediate short run, I don't think it's done Lonzo any services, and I didn't think it was doing it at the time. The good news is, I don't. I honestly don't think it bothers Lonzo that much. I mean, does it bother Lonzo? He's shooting thirty percent, twenty. Like, yes, you know, you could see in that that Milwaukee game a couple moments where you know the ball goes in and Lonzo prides himself on being completely unflappable and emotionless and all these other things but like you know little fist pumps and little basketball players want to see the ball go in the basket when they shoot and I don't care how pass first he is he's not shooting to shoot 25% also, from the floor I mean Lonzo's smart enough to realize he's only going to be so great as a pass first point guard if he can't right, right. I mean you know look at Ricky Rubio I mean, Ricky Rubio is one of the best passers in the league. He's actually one of the best defensive point guards in the league. But hitting whatever potential you think Rubio has has come up short. There's a ceiling. There's, there's, a, a, there's, there's a ceiling a, that you hit, if, particularly in today's NBA, if you can't I mean, shoot. At this point with Rubio, it's not even the ceiling. It's reality. Right. Like, it's, it's, but that's where he is. I mean, that's what I mean. That's, the, that's his ceiling. If he if he was a a, a quality shooter, Ricky Rubio would right. be a he's, perennial all star. Re- it appears that he has reached the ceiling. Yes, he's like at this point he is what he is. There's no. It doesn't seem like there's any chance that another floor is going to be built on no. top of the ceiling. You add eight points to his shooting percentage. You add eight points to Alfred Payton's shooting percentage. Right. That's the difference between good player. You know, you can win with Ricky Rubio as your point guard or Alfred Payton or whatever, but you are, but you are, but those guys aren't going to be all stars, right? That much more dependent on the other people around you. And, you know, you need, you need to be an offensive threat to be as potentially great as you want Lonzo to be. Right. So I, while I don't think the piling on of expectations bothers Lonzo that much, it really does have, have an impact based on what Lonzo symbolizes for the franchise. And that's where, 
the Lakers have to be very careful because the risk-reward here is, you know, the reward is Lonzo plays great. He brings people in. LeBron looks at him and says, I want to go. The the risk, though, is, man, isn't that guy supposed to be awesome? Yeah. And, like, you ignore all the things that he's doing well because he's not awesome. And in the meantime, I mean, if Lonzo played really well, everybody would notice anyway because he's on the effing Lakers, the you know, one of the handful of franchises that requires no extra pumping up whatsoever. Right. They'd find him. Yeah. Um so that's 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 an interesting thing. One of the one of the other interesting things that came out of the road trip, Lonzo didn't play in the fourth quarter against Phoenix. Um and it was a very good fourth quarter Jordan Clarkson who's been outstanding this year. Yes he has. Um a guy that I've certainly been very critical of over the last year or so. He played uh at the point for the fourth quarter and the Lakers pulled away from Phoenix and they won. And Lonzo to his credit said, "I don't care, you know, we won the game." I believe him. Handled it perfectly. But it does raise the larger point of what's the balance here? Because ideally, you know, the Lakers don't have a draft pick this year, but they're not going to the playoffs. So, you know, it is still a developmental year. What's the balance between development and winning games? What's the right way to develop? Because people assume, Andy, that Lonzo not playing means he's not developing. That's not necessarily true either. There is sometimes value to watching. Yeah, I mean, you and I used to be critical a lot of Byron Scott when it came to his handling of D'Angelo Russell or Julius Randle in the fourth quarter of games, you know, where it where he he would say they're not starters, so they wouldn't be closing. And we thought that that would hurt their development because it became this rote exercise of starters start, bench players play off the bench. And then there'd even be games where a bench player would close out a game when D'Angelo had started, and we'd hear, well, the game was in a certain place. Right. There was there was a lack of consistency right. with the with the explanations and with right. the, the, the 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 themes or whatever. Luke, That's not the wrong word, Luke, but you understand what I mean. Yeah, Luke's explanation of how he will play guys in the fourth quarter and that he does not care if they're rookies. He doesn't care if they're veterans. He's going to go with the best players out there, which – I don't think he's been totally inconsistent on, but I think he's been consistent enough or provided enough proof. I mean, there have been games this year where he's had Lonzo, Kuzma, and Josh Hart, three rookies, close out the game because they were playing well. So I I think Luke's been consistent enough that you don't worry about any element of Lonzo – his development his development getting hurt. He's also playing plenty, and he's going to play plenty. It's it's one fourth quarter. What's interesting, though, about this question that you raised, Brian, is the developmental part of the Lakers. You know, the normal way you would develop a young team is just think about everything bigger picture. And you wouldn't be thinking about necessarily this year. I mean, whether there's a lottery pick in the in the balance or not, you would be thinking about It's actually easier picture. this year when there right. isn't because right. you can really truly do what you think is best. And if winning a few extra games to – teach people how to win in fourth right. quarters, whatever, you know, what that feeling is like, what the work requires. Look, you don't have to worry about losing that positioning. Corey, it's Corey, better not to have the Corey pick in that regard. Corey and Andrew Bogut proved their value on that front during the Phoenix game, particularly Corey Brewer, who was terrific, and there was a reason he closed out that game. And, you know, Brewer's veteran presence, I think, brought it something It adds stability. It brings stability. Right. Bogut can – Bogut – hasn't always but he can he bring can. stability but and what, predictability what makes all this complicated though 
is they are a developmental team on a clock for this season if you're trying to impress LeBron James, Paul George, or some other free agent. And that's not typically how this works. So you're you're trying to thread a needle of doing the most developing possible while showcasing a team to look as ready-made as possible to get these other guys. Well, because normally you wouldn't be on a clock. Like I'll this. take you. I think that's true, but I'll, and I think there's there's one step further. Who are you developing? Yeah, you know, it's just if you look at it, the plan as we know, and it's it's not a bad plan. It's the old plan. It's, I was going to say it's. It's it's the old plan with the caveat of doing it better, doing it better, and also you've got more. Right. There. Actually, there's a, more there. Right. There's there. more there. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Magic and Palinka would have struggled uh, to yes. generate enthusiasm about the team three years ago. I think that's true, but like you know, the the basic idea is the old plan done right. better. Meet the new plan, same as the old plan. If you have that set up. That means certain guys are going to be gone. We've we've gone over plenty of times with Randall. Like he's not stupid. He knows that he's not in the long term plans of the Lakers if the other stuff works. Jordan Clarkson probably is going to have to be moved if the other stuff works. So, who do you play when you talk about developing young players and developing the core? How do you? And I don't know the answer. How do you balance the idea that some of these guys may not be here and, like, you kind of know who they are, but on the flip side is they also might be here. That's like Because if, if they if for, don't know for sure. LeBron stays in Cleveland I mean, or, unless, George, unless or they get doing, one but not two unless, or whatever, you might still need that. Right, unless Magic and Palinka, and God bless them if they are, are doing all the tampering that we want from them just better tamper better just better tampering this time around so that they really know lebron and paul george are coming or they really know boogie and lebron or whoever like they know what they're doing and even then it's it's hard to know for sure but if they because right, all of a sudden you know, we might have a minute to talk about this that boogie ad thing kind of working kind of working they've won seven of ten kind of working you know, I mean, and both of them are putting up monster numbers we've, we've always said though that if they can figure it out, Oof, that's kind of two top ten guys. And also, though, two top ten guys with the size that most teams are not right. equipped be able to, to do deal something with totally different than anybody right. else. I mean, most teams around the league are not equipped no. to deal with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Not Cousins. well, or they even just one of them, right? Let alone two. You might have one guy. Do you? I mean, have you looked lately? At the numbers on both of them, particularly Boogie. Yeah, it's Boogie, crazy. Boogie has been like MVP level good. He's, it's really, I mean, on it's, both it's sides amazing. of the ball, too. I, like, I was I was just looking over some of the Pelicans' numbers recently for the hell of it. Like, he's got the best defensive rating on this team. just something I do. He, Boogie has been unbelievable this year. And so, you know, okay, but so, like, I mean, he's, he's managed just, to overshadow Anthony Davis, who's also been right. really good. You know, AD's got a... Th- PER of about 30. <laughs> DeMarcus is right at about 25, averaging uh, 28, 14, and 6. That's with un- a block and a half. That's unbelievable. And- Davis is averaging 26, uh, 26, 12, and 3 with over two blocks a game, uh, and he's shooting a robust. 57%. Right. And Boogie, in the meantime, I think is shooting like 36% from three. Close. Or something. 30, it's down a little bit from that. But, and, and AD's at 38%. I mean, I mean damn. So, but, but the point being, 
how do you figure out where your priorities are? Yes, it makes sense in that regard to play Kuzma because we know he's, I mean, short of somebody offering you up a trade that brings you the superstar, but either way, still makes sense. He can play and he's cost-controlled. He's cost-controlled, he's good, and, you know, you pretty much say he's going to be around. Um, You don't, how do you figure out who gets the developmental time that you need? Or how do you figure out if you think a guy's not going to be there, the best way to showcase them right. so you can get. If Julius Randle's not going to be around as part of the future, you'd rather get something for him than see him walk out the door for nothing. Right, and so with Randle, the debate is, should he be playing more? Or do you actually get, is it better to have this thing all year long where Randall's per minute numbers are amazeballs and so you look at it and you're the team that has to decide do I want to give Julius Randall 19 million dollars for four years every year for four years you know and you can look at those per 36 numbers and be like they are off the charts or do you want to play him more and risk actually getting a diminishing return because I think I think part of the reason they they've done what they've done with Randall is because they are channeling his general anger at his situation into 20 minutes a night where he just goes incredibly hard, tries to dunk everything, is super aggressive on defense, can foul three or four times and it doesn't really matter. Um, and they're getting good results that way. So there is, I think, some method to what they're doing there is. and some risk that if you give him 28 minutes somehow, and I don't know where they come from, or 30 minutes, that you actually won't get as good a product. Here, there's risk. I mean, like you said, there's, there is a and, method. And he may not be here next year. Right. There, there's, method, there's a methodology to the madness, but here's where I think the risks come. First of all, at some point, I think that anger they're looking to channel at the situation is going to, at some point, it's going to evolve into resentment. If he continues putting up really right. big numbers. And he didn't play well Monday, but right. overall but I mean, he's played overall, very well. he's played extremely well. I agree. And I think at some point that breeds into resentment, and I don't think that's going to lead to as many positive games. But also, too, as far as the showcasing element goes, I think the problem is Randall's coming up on a payday. And any team that takes him on, assuming they're giving up anything of value whatsoever – they're going they're doing this with the with the idea of paying him down the road. You don't do this unless you plan to pay him. And I don't think anybody's going to be confident taking on the the future money of Julius Randle without knowing that he can be an effective 28 maybe. to 30, no, 30 maybe. minute a game player. No, you're right. I also think too if I'm Randle because, like we've talked about, he's smart enough to, I think, figure out what's going on. Oh, he on. knows. I, he, he, but, I he mean, knows. even, like, the psychology of what the front office is doing. I, he's smart enough to figure it out. There's a part of me that would be, if I'm Randall, really angry at the prospect of, okay, you guys challenged me to be a better player, and I'm doing it. You challenged me to get into the best shape of my life. And, and I did I it. did it. Yep. And you are automatically assuming that if you give me more minutes, I will fail. Well, and it gets it, this gets into that meritocracy versus development. Who you, the, the Lakers for all the pressure free, no draft pick, you know, let's get out there and just play. Have about sixty seven different balls in the air, and it is a really difficult test for this front office and how they do it going forward. And it's it's only going to get more complicated as the year goes on. Now there may be opportunities, I think, for them 
you know, to get some return for Lopez at some point, which would sure. open up space in the front. Because I don't think they're going to be able to trade Randall during the year. Could be wrong. It's going to be. Com- it's I mean, be, it's just it's complicated. It's more complicated. It, if this was a year ago, it'd be much easier. Right. It's so I just I think it's going to be difficult for them to do it during the season. But Lopez, KCP, Brewer, these are all guys that are going to have value to a team because they're on the last year of their deals. KCP after a long talk with Rich Paul to right. explain what it all really means. And you send him to where Rich Paul says. Oh yeah. You don't trade him to. No, you act. What you do is you actually. Well, the good news is if you do trade KCP or any of these guys, the only teams that would want him probably are contenders. Sure, but I mean, you actually let KCP handle the calls with the other team GMs. You just let him work out his own trade. You don't. If if I'll put it this way, let's say you can get a second, you know, some sort of crappy second tier. second round or whatever from the Bulls who are just trying to clear cap space or something for whatever reason. Um, you get some sort of bad second rounder and you might tick off Rich Paul. Don't make that trade. No. It ain't worth it. No. If you you go over there and you make sure they bless it and then you move them on, that's fine. You, know, but- you also try to maybe move him for you know, like a, a C-list obscure young player that LeBron really likes. Here's what I would do. I would trade him to Cleveland for James Jones, who is currently in their front office. No. Just trade him. In Phoenix's front office. Or Phoenix's front office. Fine, trade him for there. I thought he was in Cleveland. No. Okay, well, no. either way. Find James Jones and trade for him. Um, so, you know, stuff like that will happen, but you know, then that could open up some space for guys along the year. But it is, it is a very difficult task that these guys have in front of them because – while the L.A. thing is there and it is, you know, there's they're set up to get guys, it's not a slam dunk. It's not a guarantee. And you still have to figure out what happens if we have to go forward with the players that we have. So it's a tough thing. Yeah, speaking of which, too, uh, when it comes to the, the plan moving forward, uh, OKC is in an interesting spot of late. Yeah, this whole, okay. With the whole Westbrook, Paul George, Mellow thing. Is this working? Like, let's... Let's all say we can agree that what's happening in Cleveland right now is good for the Lakers. No, it's certainly not bad. It's I mean, not bad. Uh, Ramona, uh, Ramona Shelburne, our buddy Momo, uh, was on the jump recently, and she said that the four teams right now with the most realistic shot of getting LeBron are the ones that he's, I guess, sort of uh, he's got his eyes on Lakers. San Antonio, specifically because of Greg Popovich, right. but one sure. assumes also Kawhi Leonard. The Knicks, because of the young core, which could explain why he's already uh, getting involved with their front office, right. and the Sixers, because of their core as right. well. And by the way, you add LeBron to that. Oof. that Wait, but, but the Sixers thing, and people will scoff at it, makes sense for exactly the same thing reason from a basketball perspective for the same reasons that the Lakers would. You have a young player already there, by the way, playing better than our version of it, in L.A., in Ben Simmons, who will can handle the ball, who can relieve LeBron of having to do all that stuff, and then you add Embiid. I was going to say, and then, you, then add, you add a second player who's playing better than the second player in right. L.A. And then, and then you add a guy like Covington, Covington. who's been great, yeah, and they still, have Fultz, they, still, they still have Fultz, they still have assets and whatever. The city isn't what LeBron, you know, Philly isn't a backwater, but it's not L.A. But you know what's But from a basketball perspective, right. Philly makes more sense than, and you're still in the East. I, I don't remember whose show it was on. I want to say it was Rich Eisen's, but I may be wrong about this, so I apologize to whatever host I'm not giving credit to if I should. 
But Maverick Carter, a couple weeks ago, he's doing an interview somewhere, and he was asked about, you know, LeBron and the L.A. connection and, you know, the narrative that, you know, LeBron will ultimately choose the Lakers because of his interest in the entertainment. That's uh, stupid. Well, and Maverick Carter noted how, look, during the during a season, LeBron can't make a movie. Like, it's logistically impossible. He's not around in L.A. enough, even if he plays for the Lakers. He's got too many conflicts. You know, he can't do this till the offseason anyway. And then in the meantime, when it comes to deals with his production company or whatever, he's like, he can do a video conference from a private plane. And on, and on one hand, this is obviously a potential smokescreen on Maverick Carter's part. But it's, it's exact, also, but it's also exactly. true. I mean, it, it is 100% true. He, the reason... The, he noted, like, everything their production company set up. LeBron hasn't been in L.A. for any of it. Right. Anything LeBron wants to do, he can do. And people will go to him if they want to right. meet him and all that. It's the reason LeBron would want to do it isn't because of entertainment or whatever. He can still send his kids out to school here if he wants right. to uh, during the year and figure it out. It is, do I want to be in the same city with them if that's where they're going to be? It's, do I just, do I like the idea of getting off the plane at 2 a.m. after a road trip in February and having it be 52 degrees instead of 2 degrees? Like, do I just like that idea? Um, it depends on how much he wants to win right away. It depends on whether or not it's important right. to him to get to, to if I'm going to ultimately lose, do I want to lose in the finals versus losing in the in the conference finals, the conference semifinals? Like I you can't win another ring if you don't get to the finals and without question, staying in the east gives him the best path for that. But I think we can all agree what's happening in Cleveland right now is good for yes. the Lakers slash every other team that'd be interested. Doesn't hurt their chances. Because they are awful if you take him away. Yeah, I mean, I, Isaiah Thomas is eventually going to come back and whatever, make but a the, difference. But they also, they, you know what they remind me of right now? They remind me of, of LeBron's last season in Cleveland the first time around. When there was just this general anxiety about him leaving mm-hmm. that didn't feel unfounded. And also, too, just like this general malaise over the team. Well, it's because you can look at it, and it's so obvious that LeBron is having to do so much just to get them to a 500 record. Yeah, um, and it's 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 not sustainable. And you know, there's no guarantee it is going to come back and be as effective. And even if he is, is he going to? I love it, but is he going to be better than Kyrie? Not the way Kyrie's probably right now. Well, no, but he's going to be better than last year's Kyrie. I think he can be more. Or he less can the be same. more or less the same, and more or less the same wasn't good enough. No, it and got him really, to the finals. I mean, it got him to the finals, but it wasn't good enough to win a title. Right. And so, check. Everything going... Oklahoma City, though, is a weird one because Paul George has put up pretty good numbers overall, but the narrative around them is he's he hasn't fit in. The last couple games, he's been great. Um, but he hasn't fit in. It's not working. But it's interesting. They're around 502, it's so they haven't taken though, off. Because they're they're as we record, they're one game below 500. But what's interesting though about the idea that it's not working, you know, or that he's an odd fit, he actually leads the team in scoring. Like most people probably would not guess that, but he does. Right, because they've said he's been the one who's been kind of the odd man out. Well, but it's but it's exactly. And and by the way, he's leading the team in scoring by being the most efficient scorer on this team. Like, I mean, he's been much more efficient than either Mello or Russell Westbrook. Like, in in some ways, he's fitting in fine. Like, if you looked at I, – I can't speak for how Paul George feels about the fit, but if you look at what he's doing, like, you would think from the narrative, 
that he's become Chris Bosh his first year. Right, in Miami. he shoots he shoots four times a right, game. Or what he, Kevin right. Love has been like he's he's averaging twenty two and a half points a game. Some of this is backloaded by the fact that he's played really well the last few games. Right, he's but, had like a forty something point game. Right, and a 30 he's, something he's point averaging game. eighteen shots a game. Which, Leads the team. Right, which leads the team. I mean, it's just funny because if you looked at him, if you didn't know the team's record, what it took is, a look right, at what it, it is, but it is the record. And so yeah. they're not the the idea. The idea is a an Oklahoma City team that gets to like the conference finals or something like that makes it harder for Paul George to leave. He's okay. going to want to stay. Like, okay, wait, we did this in our first year, and I think the reason it's too early to decide whether or not it's much too early, good or bad for LA, is. We all saw what happened in Miami that first year. Twenty games in, they were you know kind of right around five hundred. Nine and, and eight. It, was, it wasn't working, and and you know it didn't. You know, they, they couldn't figure Pat out. Pat Riley how to had click. to announce, "I'm not going to coach this team." Right. I mean, there was just it was it wasn't working. Which Sam Presti has also announced right. as well that he's not going to coach this team. So, you know it, what happens over the final fifty games of the season is really critical here, and also too, you get the sense. Paul George will come without LeBron. Like, you kind of get that sense, and it's just kind of out there based on compiling what you read. You don't necessarily get the sense that LeBron would come without other star. Yeah. Um, so that complicates it, And it's it also too. interesting, too, because Melo, I think, as a lot of people thought, even, even people like you and me that thought this thing could work out and were very excited to see it either way, Melo has been the complicating factor. Like, it, it would have been... He, it's easier to make Paul George and Westbrook work together absolutely. than it is adding it. absolutely. And, and yeah. you know, he shot down this pro, you know, this notion from the outset. But if Mello Mello coming off the bench would have made this whole thing way simpler. But Mello is, I think, the complicating factor, and he's most people expect he's going to he's opt in stay. next year. Stay. Um, so it'll be interesting. Well, in a cap strap in a cap strap universe, is he unless he just decides he wants to go somewhere and win right away, he's not going to find anybody that's going to pay him more money. No, um, Mello has never been one to uh, turn down the money that is right in front of him. Um, all right, so we'll look at it. We got we we didn't we didn't have time today to get to a few other trends, particularly like you know the Lakers' defense and the Lakers' offense are, are a little bit in the upside down to we use got- the Stranger Things. But we have a long season. Hopefully, mm-hmm. these things will will stick and will. We'll come back next week and dive deeper into some of the other stuff going around in the NBA. Uh, Yeah, but that's it. Until then, see you later. Bye.